It's a blessed thing to know our position before a Lord who is perfectly balanced, full of truth and grace. Thanks again for coming uh, this morning. Uh, I just listening to the shepherds talk this morning, I thought if if Anna took me like Dawn, if Anna took me to the hospital every time I woke up slow and a little disoriented, I'd be there every other day, right? Please keep Dawn in your prayers. And and I gotta say, Justin, as he said, you'd had three weeks to prepare. I thought, man, you know that that sounds like a three-hour sermon to me. <laughs> so we'll be looking forward to that. Our key beliefs. Our key beliefs mold our hearts, determine our behavior, and they change who we are becoming. We've been going through this for 10 weeks, and I've been reading the scripture. But today, I'd like to ask everyone to read along with me out loud. Luke 6, 45. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is for. Amen. We've been going through, we've looked at our relationship with God. We've looked at our relationship in the church. We've looked at our relationship with all of humanity. We've looked at our compassion and we've looked at how we're to treat our stuff, right? And so we end on a high note of looking at eternity today. Our key question is, what happens Next, what happens after this life? Our key idea this morning is, I believe there is a heaven and a hell, and that Jesus will return to judge all people and to establish his eternal kingdom. I love this verse. This verse ought to make every one of us feel great and give us joy and hope. John 14, 1 and 2. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. There's a scripture in Revelation that talks about the height and the width that there's a square city that he's preparing for us. And John does his best to, to talk about what that looks like. And I, and I found something kind of humorous to me, uh, uh, but it, it, it helped me understand how large this kingdom is. If you look at those dimensions given in the Bible, and this guy with a lot of time on his hands and good at math, uh, multiplied that out those dimensions and multiplied that out and looked and said okay a mansion would be 500 square feet by 500 square feet that's a pretty good size house Lance right so you're probably not renting any houses out right now that that have 250,000 square feet but if that were the mansion and you did the math on it There'd be enough room for, guess how many mansions? A million? Two million? 198 trillion mansions. 
if, if that was the calculation. Now, I, I think all that, of course, is just simile, is just, is just metaphors and imagery to give you an idea of how grand heaven will be. But it also helps us to understand that God is, is preparing a place for us that is limitless eternity. Our sermon outline this morning will be the ending of the first life, the intermediate state, the resurrection and the return of Christ, and then finally, a new heaven and a new earth. First, this morning, as we study, let's take a look at the ending of the first life and the starting of another. Now, this idea about heaven was not really well established in the minds of the people in the Old Testament. And I'm going to share two stories with you. The first is that in Deuteronomy 34, where God buries Moses. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab. And as the Lord said, he buried him in Moab in the valley opposite Beth Peorah, but to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses is buried by God. We find out in Jude that, that the archangel and the Satan actually fought over the body. But the Israelites didn't know for sure where he went. And there's another story that we find in 2 Kings chapter 2, 1 through 18, and this story is about Elijah and Elisha. And Elijah has come to the end of his life. And Elisha uh, is following him around, and he's his protege. He, he's, he's kind of his intern, as you would, to begin his service in the Lord and being a prophet. And, and he's following along and and. Elijah says, what can I do for you? And Elisha says, well, you can give me a double portion of your, of your spirit. And he says, oh, what you're asking for, that's a difficult thing. But if you see me when the Lord takes me, then it will be granted to you. And, and so they, they are going to Gilgal, and Elijah asks Elisha, why don't you just stay behind? You don't need to go with me. And he said, oh, far be it from that, that I would ever leave you. And then he gets to Gilgal, and when he gets there, the prophets of that town come out and says to Elisha, do you know the Lord's going to take Elijah today? And this happens three more times as they go to Bethel and Jericho, and then on the side of the, of the Jordan. And it's an interesting story. They come up to the, to the side of the Jordan. And, and Elijah rolls his coat up, his outer garment up, and he smacks the Jordan, and the Jordan splits, and they walk across. And they walk across. When they get on the other side, this is where this scripture starts. And as they are walking along, talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up into heaven in a whirlwind. Now, we all know that story. That's a great kid's story. We, we've always read about it. But sometimes we miss their misunderstanding of the afterlife. 
The company of prophets from Jericho who were watching said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went up to meet him and bowed on the ground before him. Look, they said, we have servants, 50 able men. Let them go and look for your master. Perhaps the spirit of the Lord has picked him up and set him on a mountain or or some valley. (laughs) No, Elisha replied, don't send them. But they persisted until he was too embarrassed to refuse. So he said to them, send them. And they sent 50 men who searched for three days but did not find him. Then they returned to Elisha who was staying in Jericho and said to them, Didn't I tell you not to go? Do you see what's happening here? They don't have a good understanding of the afterlife. They don't have a good understanding that when you die here that something goes on. That there is something eternal they're looking, these men are looking in the valleys and on the hills. They think God maybe just drew him up in a whirlwind and then dropped him off. But what's happened is God has taken him up. Now for you and I, that may not seem strange, but for them it was so strange that they sent 50 men out to look for him, right? And I tell you these two stories because I, I, I want to show you that life goes on. In Matthew 17, Mark 9, and Luke 9, we have all the same story. It's the transfiguration. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and the clothes became as white as light. Just then they appeared before them. Who? Moses and? I know it's it's a church of Christ, but we can still talk. Moses and? Elijah. Talking with Jesus. You see, both are very much alive. Now, they're not the same. They're different. But they're very much alive. The intermediate state. Asleep but lovely. Now, this is the part of the sermon that I'm going to tell you. This is a study on eschatology. Okay, which is just a fancy word for the end of time, studying the end of time. And during this section of the intermediate state, I'm going to tell you I can't be dogmatic about anything. All right? So if you disagree with me this morning on this intermediate state, then that's okay. And you can have different feelings or beliefs on this area of the Bible. And I don't think that's going to cost anybody their salvation, all right? But here are some things that I've studied through, through hours and come to the conclusion on. And maybe you can see why I came to these conclusions, okay? So nobody gets up and runs out, gets mad during this section of the sermon. If you do, I'll go with you. And we'll leave the mic on and we'll hear the conversation in the parking lot. Here we go. This is the story of Luke 16. This is the rich man and Lazarus. Now, I just took a little bit out of this. And if you look, I started at verse 14. Well, that's not very common because it really starts up at about 19. 
but I, I went all the way back to 14 because I think it's very important who this parable about the rich man and Lazarus, who it's given to. And who it's given to is the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are being stingy with, they're hoarding in the story of salvation. They're hoarding in their riches in, in the gospel. And so he tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Now, I think this story is, is really about social injustice. And I think it's about neglecting to tell the story of God to the people and kind of holding that, okay, and holding that story hostage. And I think it's about self-indulgence. It's, it's about uh, neglecting others why we indulge in our own self. Uh, and, and I think it's a parable. And the reason I think it's a parable, and we can, you can get into this with me after the sermon, is the reason I think it's a, a parable is because if you take it literally, uh, you get into some doctrinal issues uh, with the end of time. So anyway, as we look at this parable, there are some things that I think we can take from it. One we can take that our destination is known, but it's not reached, right? After death, in this period of time, before the Lord comes back, this intermediate state, after we die, our destination is known, but it's not reached yet. Because in the parable, the discussion goes on, and his brothers are still alive, right? So we know that the Lord hasn't come back. So they have a discussion, and it's obvious that one man is in comfort, and the other man is in agony. So our destination is set, but it's not reached yet. And that's what I think we can take in our study of the ends of time in the story of rich man and Lazarus. I think that we'll be in a state of sleep we see this over and over again. John tells us Jesus, uh, after he had said, and we're talking about uh, Lazarus here. Remember, they came and said, hey, Lazarus is sick and his, his sisters want you to come and heal him and make him right. And Jesus stays too long and, and he says, our friend Lazarus has fallen to sleep. And the apostles say, well, if he's falling asleep, good, because if he's sleeping, then he'll get better. Because they didn't want him to go on back into Jerusalem because it was getting physically dangerous that he might be killed. But he, they misunderstood what he was saying. And Jesus says, no, you don't understand. Lazarus is dead. So Jesus is the first to share with us this idea of sleep after death. Paul says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. You see, Paul wanted you to understand, he wanted the, the Thessalonians to understand that they're not gone. When people die, we don't have to mourn. We don't have to, to be upset that everything is over with them because they continue on. And that's where our hope is found, in the life after life. He continues on in 
in verse 14, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. He's telling him, don't get upset. If you're in Christ, if you die in Christ, well, you're just asleep, and we're all waiting for him to come back. Then Jesus entered the synagogue, the leader, synagogue leader's house. Now, we're talking about Jairus here. Remember, his daughter died. They're on the way back. Jesus is, is coming back to Jairus' house, and on the way back, they say, hey, don't bother the teacher. The daughter has already died. Jesus goes on. He goes into the house, and when he gets to the house, it, they're so sure, they're so assured that this girl is dead that they've hired, Maddie, professional mourners. Now, we don't have those anymore, but in that time, they had professional mourners. And they're wailing and they're mourning and they're playing instruments and they're, they're taking part of the mourning. And Jesus says, no, you don't understand. She's just asleep. And, of course, they didn't understand. The Creator had the ability to take this body that was, or that soul that was asleep and move it back into the body. And so they laugh at Him. And, of course, He kicks everybody out of the room, takes her by the hand, and raises her from the dead. I bring you back to this scripture because I have a problem, a little bit of a, a theological problem, and I'm going to share that with you. I shared it with Jacob uh, while I was studying for this. In Matthew 17, Mark 9, and Luke 9, what is Moses and Elijah doing? He's talking to Christ. So in this intermediate state, while I may be sleeping and resting, I've also got to tell you, I believe that it's more than just the way we sleep. Now, I may talk in my sleep, but I think that there's more going on here than just talking in your sleep. I think that they're having a conversation between Elijah, Moses, and Jesus. So there's this sleep, there's more to it than just a complete unconsciousness away from the body Paul tells the Corinthians therefore we're always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body we are away from the Lord for if we live by faith and not by sight we're confident I say I'd prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord so Paul gives us this idea that it'd be better for me to be out of this body, and I got to tell you, yesterday at about 5 o'clock when I got through mowing, I wanted out of this body. He says it'd be better to be out of this body, Mike, than it would be, and it'd be better if I would go and be with the Lord. There seems to be an immediacy about that, and we see this again with the Philippians. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to Go on living in the body. This means fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Excuse me, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So Paul has an insight into the next life that 
when he leaves this body, he's not going to have a body when he goes to the next life, Rick, that we will, for some intermediate time, Jack, that we're going to be without a body. Now, I wrestled with this next part because I didn't know whether to put it here or to put it with Jesus coming back and the resurrection, okay? But since we're talking about the body, I thought I would share this, and this is, leads to the next point. But we're going to get a body. And he tells the Corinthians, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we'll all be changed in the flash, in a twinkling of the eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must be clothed itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. Do you see what's going to happen? Those people who have died, been buried, their anatomical, their body may be spread halfway around the world by now. They're going to be raised up with immortal bodies. They're going to be imperishable. What he's saying is those who have rotted and gone back are going to receive a life are going to receive a body that's never going to perish again, that's never going to wear out and dissolve again. And then he says, those of you who are living, those mortal people on the earth that are still living, you're going to get a new body. And that body is going to be immortal. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality... Then the saying, what is written, will come true. O oh, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? We're going to receive new bodies at the coming of Christ. And these bodies are going to last forever. And I'm hoping for about three more inches of legs and a little more arms, and a whole bunch right up here. And that body is going to last forever. Well, what can we draw from studying this intermediate state? Okay? And I put down what we do know. Yeah, I struggle with that. Maybe I thought I might, what Keith thinks might be better. But these are the things that I think we do know about this intermediate state. That our final destination is determined but not reached. That our final destination cannot be altered after death. We will be in a state where time is irrelevant like sleep. Like earthly sleep, it will be a place of rest, a place of peace. It's a better place than we have here on earth. We will be in the presence of Christ. And death does not change 
our personality. You see in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, when he was dead, the rich man was still arrogant. The rich man was still demanding. And I don't think our personalities are going to change in the second life. Now, the resurrection and the return of Christ, the day of the Lord. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing the following, excuse me, come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. And they will say, where is this coming he promised? And it's no different today. People will say, oh, well, your Christ, your Messiah said he's coming back. Well, it's been 2,000 years. In Paul's time, they were saying, well, it's been 70 years or it's been 65 years. Where's your Savior? And Paul wants to give us an idea of where is our Savior. Why hasn't he already come back? So he gives us this verse. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. And the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, and some under, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Paul wants you to understand. Christ is not being slow. He wants to give you a chance. He wants you to have plenty of time to change. He wants you to have a chance and the time for repentance to come and know God. And he's not slow. The difference is I'm in this time-space continuum where it seems slow. But to God, there is no time. He's eternal. So to him, uh, we've only gone through, what, two days and 2,000 years? It's just a short amount of time for him. Paul tells us, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven, with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive, our left will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Paul wanted us to understand whether we're in the ground or we're alive. In the end, we're all going to be called up together. A new heaven and a new earth. Things made perfect. Peter tells us, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire. We get an inkling of that something's going to happen to this earth. Something's going to happen to the current heaven, being kept for the judgment day and the destruction of the ungodly. Listen to him in 3 and 10. 
But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Everything, Mary, that I've ever built up and tried to make, fire is going to consume it. The Greek writers say the elements. Now, they didn't understand the elements like we understand the periodical chart, but he, they mean everything that we see, smell, touch, taste. It is going to be burned up. Heaven and earth will pass away. Now, this is Christ speaking. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Everything is going to be made new. Everything is going to to change. Everything is going to be burned up except for, Rick, and thank God, his covenants and his promises to us. I think even Isaiah had an idea of what was going to happen. He says, lift your eyes to the heavens. Look at the earth beneath. The heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment and its inhabitants die like flies. But my salvation will last forever. My righteousness will never fail. The last look we have into eternity is found with John and his book, Revelations. When I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, come down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautiful dressed for his husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne will say, I am making everything, everything new. You see, I believe that the new heaven and the new earth is going to look a whole lot like paradise, how he started it with Adam and Eve, where everything was perfect, where everyone's body was designed to last forever. But the most important thing, the the greatest thing we need to realize as we talk about the end of time and, and, and what's going to happen is this verse right here. That we are going to dwell with God. We're going to be His people. He's going to be our God. We're going to return to that paradise situation where Mary God walks with us in the cool of the day. We're going to have, once again, a perfect community with God. Now, David, do I really know what that looks like? I have no idea, man. I can't tell you. And neither can John. He tries to explain it. And so he starts talking about streets of pure gold like glass. So I can tell you there are no words to describe for you this morning how wonderful, how beautiful the heaven will be. I I don't understand how 
great it's going to be to, to walk in a paradise with God. But I look forward to it. I know it gives me hope. So what difference does this make in the way I live? Well, first, because I have this hope of eternity and being in Christ, we love people with freedom and boldness because our future is secure in Him. Amen? Isn't that what, isn't that what gives us hope, knowing that our security, our hope can be secure in God? And number two, we will lead more people into a relationship with Christ because we want to share our hope with others. You see, because we understand where we're going and who we are and what we're about and that heaven is our final destination, that leads us to share that with somebody else. Man, when, when I go to Silver Dollar City and they open a new ride and I get on that thing, when I get off, what's the first thing I do? I start talking about it. Sophie's over there going, yes. And I get on, I get on Facebook and I post a few pictures and, and I might even tweet something about how exciting that is. And the same is true of heaven. We should be so excited about this final destination that we just have to talk about it. Finally, we live with hope every day. Regardless of the circumstances around us, life may or may not be better here, but we can know that God's home is awaiting us. I was on a plane. I had been uh, to Boston with a friend of mine, Josh Farquharson, and we had gone to this web seminar um, for three days and we were on our way back and we were in one of those uh, smaller jets uh, two, on, two seats on one side two seats on another not very long front to back and I was reading the Bible I was in Hebrews 7 where it says something about Melchizedek I'll never forget that word, Melchizedek. It is burned in my mind because just as I read that, one of the two engines exploded in the plane. And the plane began to shake. And I don't mean it vibrated a little bit. I mean it was shaking. And I can't describe how it was shaking other than to say, if you've ever run a brush hog over a stump... You get an idea of how this thing was shaking. And I was thinking to myself, man, there is, there's no possible way this plane can hold together with it shaking like this. And I can remember Josh trying to get his seatbelt on, and it was shaking so much he couldn't get it on, and he was frantically trying to get the two buckles together. And the plane... It just started dropping out of the air, Justin, like, like it had, somebody had sawed off the wings and we were just a brick in free fall. I found out later they were trying to get us low enough that if we lost, if the cabin lost its pressure, we wouldn't faint. So they're trying to get the airplane down. And people are screaming. And I don't mean just women. I mean men. Like little girls are screaming. And the things that ran through my mind 
the things that ran through my mind were I won't have enough time to watch my children grow up. I won't be able to help my children grow up in the Lord like I wanted to. I wish I had one more chance to say goodbye to my wife. Who will take care of my grandparents? Who will take care of my parents? And these things are flooding around in my mind. And yes, there was that legalistic part of my upbringing that prayed, Lord, forgive me all my sins. Okay? But I got to tell you, really, not once in my mind did I think, where am I going? Where is my next destination? Because I have a hope in Jesus Christ. Why? Because he told me. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? So this morning I ask you, are you in Christ? Do you know where your final destination is? And if you don't have that hope, if you don't have that peace that surpasses all understanding, if you don't have that joy in your life, knowing where your final destination is, what in the world are you waiting on? We're going to sing a song in a minute, and we're going to, we're going to uh, dismiss with a prayer. Can I get all the elders to stand for just a moment? Get all the elders to stand for just a second. Preston's out right now. These men, if you're not right with God, these men would love to speak with you and to talk with you about your final destination. If you all would, just stand right where you're at. Please stand. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.